Good morning. Welcome to Flip Reliability's Best Practice Webinar Series. The title of our session today is Maximize the Value of Your MRO Data, presented by Troy Miller with an assist from Rob Hoffer from IMA Limited, an industry leader in MRO Material Master Data Solutions. Welcome, Troy and Rob. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the introduction. We, we're very excited to present today and uh, talk about material master data uh, and all the nuances and the uh, strategy behind improving your data and then ultimately being able to leverage that data to, uh, to benefit your organization in various capacities. And so, so we thank you for attending um and uh, we look forward to the interaction if you have questions please uh, submit them and we'll be happy to uh to address those at the end of the presentation As introduced, my name is Troy Miller. I am the uh, Vice President and the Chief Operating Officer at IMA. Um, been working in this asset-intensive organization space uh, for a little over 25 years now, um, and uh, began with my, my specifically my Material Master Data journey with IMA in 2012. Organization uh, has been around for 32 years, and we're going to talk about a bit of the history of the company. But want to stress at this time that uh, there's four main capacities in which we operate, specifically to do with material master data, the collection, the cleaning, the governance, and then the application of a material master data. There's something we would ask of the audience, if you would. You know, we're always very interested in uh, people's position around their material master data, which I should also mention is called indirect materials, item masters, MRO data. There's a number of names for it, but today, uh, for simplicity, we're going to refer to it as material master data. So we're very interested. Are you currently working on a material master dating, uh, data cleansing initiative? Have you embarked in one? And if so, you're planning to do so, what's the timeline for that? In the next six months, the next 12 months, or is it something you're interested in, hence the reason that you're attending today, but you're just not sure when that initiative is going to take place? We'd like to gather that information so that we can uh, better educate and prepare ourselves for the market. So today we're going to walk through the uh, nuances, as I mentioned, of material master data. And specifically, we're going to look at uh, a brief history of IMA. Um, and then we are going to talk about uh, it, the, all the particulars around uh, material master data, such as you know, making sure that you have the right strategy in place, that you're working with somebody to develop that strategy, um, and all the aspects of uh, data, uh, material master data. So the organization of IMA, we founded in 1989. We're one of the, uh, the, the trailblazers of the industry. And to be completely transparent, originally we were uh, inventory 
a data collection organization. And so we would uh, identify the materials in storerooms, mostly in the manufacturing space. And then throughout our years, uh, it was uh, identified that, that people would like us to return data in a very specific fashion. And so then we converted our resources from that on-site data collection to actually data preparation for our customers. And the more that there was CMMSs and ERPs and EAMs coming into place in the marketplace, the more need there was for data and it became our main revenue stream. However, we did return then back to that on-site data collection space, which we'll speak to a little bit in the presentation. So let's talk about some of the challenges of material master data. You know, typical data faults that we see when we're working with customers in the very early stages are duplication. It's a significant challenge with organizations for many different reasons, but it offers opportunity for significant savings once you have a strategy around those duplicates that live within your item master. Spelling mistakes, we sometimes uh, talk to our customers about the importance of ensuring that uh, that, that everything is spelled properly, specifically from a searching standpoint. If somebody goes to search for an item and that item is misspelled, obviously it's, uh, you're unable to, uh, to search those items. So it's very important that, uh, that we correct all those uh, spelling mistakes. Inconsistency in the data, we're gonna talk a lot about that today. It's very important that there be consistent, consistent entry of data related to uh, related to like items. That's extremely important in your data set, and we'll get into that. Inaccuracy, that, that goes without saying that if you're searching for a V-belt and it says that it has a 98-inch outside circumference, but indeed it's only 95, there's significant uh, issues, obviously, with, uh, with the inaccuracy of, uh, of inappropriate data or inaccurate data uh, allocated to items. Incompleteness, same thing. If you have parts that don't have significant parametric information, your search functionality and your ability to assign that to a work order or purchase order becomes a lot less. And then incorrect formatting. Very important that formatting is structured in a material master data initiative so that you can populate your system with accurate and complete data. So what are all those challenges? We talked a little bit about those, but the difficulty of searching the parts. If they're not in there and they're not properly uh, completed, then you can't find them. If you can't find them, you can't use those parts. False stock, it'll happen on a regular basis as a result of improper or poor data in the system. Spot buys, if you can't find it and you, so it's in the system, you can't find it in your inventory, so you make these unnecessary spot buys. Excess inventory, we'll talk about that in the application section where uh, there's too much inventory of something only because you're unable to track the historical activity of the item due to the lack of quality of your data. Limited spend vis visibility, very much the same thing. And then of course, unreliable reporting. So how did your data end up like this? Well, it's no one person's fault. As a matter of fact, it's the effort of a number of people uh, to get the data in the condition that it is today. And that's okay, it's very common in the industry to have data that is not best in class. And why is that? Unrestricted user access. So people able to make changes 
not maliciously, but certainly to, ad to, uh, to adapt the data for their own personal need, they make changes to the data. And then somebody changes it in the future. Uh, that unrestricted user access causes significant uh, modification to items and unfortunately not always to the benefit of that individual data piece. No formal data schema or standards. That's the most important uh, aspect of a material master data initiative of any type is that you understand this is how we're going to create the data, this is how we're going to maintain it, and it's always going to look like this. Without that, we're going to see in the next slide, there can be great variation in your data and certainly duplication. Company merger and acquisition, uh, something that we face on a regular basis with our existing customers and our legacy and our prospect customers. There's a business unit that is operated as a business with good data, poor data, but then they get merged with another organization or they make an acquisition. Now you need to unify that data so that it all becomes one uh, very clean and consistent data set according to a defined data schema. And that's that, that can be difficult if you're not a data specialist. And so um, um, that, that co combination of organizations in the industry can cause for poor data. Multiple ERE, ERP CMMSs are operating simultaneously within an organization. A lot of times as a result of that company merger or acquisition, that can cause great disconnect amongst data and somehow we have to unify all of that data to ensure that it is consistent. So to continue this, how did my data get like this? Well, this is a simple example, but it greatly illustrates the point. This particular pen, if we were to give to four users without any kind of data schema or data standard to follow, how, what would the descriptions look like? You can see with user one, user two, user three, user four. And this is why we always stress, there's no malicious intent in creating that item. You do, do so according to your own individual preferences. And by do, doing so, you end up with the same pen four times in your operating system. On the bottom line, you can see following a data schema, had we given that to the four users in advance of asking them to explain this pen, uh, they would have been able to provide a consistent output with things like a category. This is a writing instrument. Attributes associated specifically with this pen, and then of course end with the manufacturer name and part number. This is how we maintain consistency. It's how we create a unified data set, um, and certainly a very big part of any Material Master Data Initiative. So as you embark on that material master data excellence journey, there's a very defined workflow that needs to be put in place. And again, we're here to, today to educate you on that, the nuances of it. And so that when you develop your strategy with your data partner, you can ensure that you include all of these aspects to, uh, to ensure a, a successful finished product. So what do we do first? We collect the data. We have to gather all of that data. Then we take a look at and see what's the status of that data, and then we make a plan to make it the best that it can be. That's where the cleaning aspect comes in, and it's a very big piece of the Material Master Data Initiative. That journey is nothing if it's not properly cleansed at this stage of your journey. Then we verify it for accuracy and quality control, and then we prepare it for population into your CMMS. At that point, it's very important that you then govern your data. 
You've worked so hard to ensure that you get the best that your data can be, and now you need to maintain that data with some kind of governance solution. We'll talk about some of the uh, questions you need to ask before committing to a governance solution. And then ultimately, now that we have our best in data set, how do we apply it so that the organization can benefit uh, from, it, from that uh, strategic initiative of good data? So we'll walk through each one of these steps to uh, to talk about uh, some of the specifics related to each part of that workflow. And collection of the data is is the primary uh, is the primary task that needs to be completed before you can start this initiative. There's two very different ways to do so. One on the right side of the screen is the digital collection or extract from your current CMMS or ERP or EAM from legacy systems that may not be functioning, but they're still active where you can draw data from, critical spare parts list that you get from your OEMs, bills of material that you may be housing in a separate system, and then even those vendor managed inventory, that, that inventory that somebody's managing on your behalf right now, but you still need to purchase it. You need, still need to assign it to a work order, whether they're consumable, consumable items or uh, items that do need to be documented. All of this data needs to be captured to ensure that we have a successful Material Master Data Initiative. And if you are unable to do that digital collection or extraction from existing systems, then we go to the physical data capture, and that is resources coming on site to every storeroom, documenting every item within inventory, capturing information such as the manufacturer name and part number, what's the item number or stock number for that particular item, is there a part description that's on the shelf? If so, that needs to be captured. And then some options are to take a picture of the item for future reference to see, can we glean any additional attribute value information from an image that we weren't able to capture at the time of the physical collection? Two very different strategies, both of which are very important, again, to ensure the success. If we don't get started with the right data set, then you're not going to be able to achieve ultimate success in this initiative. The evaluate, extremely important. This is the current state of your data to identify where is it strong? Where is it weak? Where can we get significant improvement? And where do we have our greatest challenges? Once you identify all of that, you're able to identify a, the best strategy to put in place to ensure that you get your best-in-class best data. So what are those things that should be looked at at the time of evaluation? The number of line items, obviously, but then the consistency of categories. How, how many times do I have ball bearing? Or have I got a bearing that's maybe a different uh, subcategory? All of that needs to be identified, again, for no other reason than creating your, your data schema. Manufacturer naming table. Have you do you call it Allen Bradley? Do you call it SKF? Is fluke spelled properly within your, your manufacturer naming table? If not, it's imperative that that be corrected and be part of your strategy going forward. Item numbers and stock numbers. It's how we relate them back to your system. So it needs to be present for every item in the uh, in the data set. If not, okay, we need to de develop a strategy. Are these inactive items that no longer need to be included in the in, in the material master data initiative or is it just something that we can extract from maybe that legacy system part description quality a big piece of it 
looking at every every description of an item to say, okay, you've got good information, what we would call attribute rich, but unfortunately it's not populated to a standard, not populated to a schema, but that's okay. That's what we're gonna do during the initiative. Attribute population is everything. How can we gather more information around the attributes and how attribute rich, as I mentioned before, how attribute rich is the line item in whole or in individual categories? Certainly something needs to be identified. Duplication, one of the biggest benefits of performing your material master data initiative is to identify what your duplication strategy is. By knowing how much duplication you have before even getting started will guide you in developing that strategy. The incomplete and unidentifiable items, again, what do we need to do with those? Are they inactive? If so, let's remove them from the, the initiative. If they're not, let's develop a strategy and then character limitations. Always looking to see today, maybe you uh, are operating in an ERP or a CMMS today, but moving to a particular CMS. And by doing so, now your character limitations have changed from 25 characters to 40 characters, fantastic. How do we populate those additional 15 characters? All uh, information that's pertinent at the, at the time of evaluation, okay? I will offer, because again, we're trying to educate the market. It's This is something that should, uh, there should never be a cost and certainly no obligation from any vendor out in the marketplace. This is something that you should be working with with your data partner to say, hey, how maybe your data is really good. It needs some minor tweaking. Okay, then the cost needs to represent that versus, okay, our data is very poor, we realize that, and we need to embark on a very uh, a long initiative to ensure that, uh, that it gets converted to its best. Okay. The plan. This is a significant part of the initiative, obviously, and so we're gonna spend a bit of a time talking, talking about the particulars of data preparation as far as planning for your master data initiative. The first of which is the data schema. And we could talk for an hour alone on the data schema, but understanding that if you have one today and you need to uh, continue to utilize that, it's very important that you select a data partner that can adapt to a customized data schema or taxonomy. Because not all solutions do, especially if you're looking at a high-level software solution, um, typically the, the data schemas are hard-coded into such solution. So it's imperative that you look for a, uh, a solution that can adapt to yours. However, I think it's important that everybody talk to their data partner and say, okay, this is the schema that we've used for this long. We know it's not perfect. And so we would like to see how do we make it perfect? Or there's always the consideration of, can I adapt to a new schema? Which at times can seem like a very overwhelming task, but it's important to understand that, that uh, for the most part, by mapping your bearings to a custom commodity group that is bearings, or your V-belts and change, uh, chains, your MRO items and your indirect materials, for the most part, are very similar to that within industry. It just may be named different, and that's absolutely fine. However, if there's great benefits to switching to a schema that exists in the marketplace and maybe maybe lives behind tools of cleansing and governance and application, for example, does it make sense to adapt that? And it, that's always an opportunity in marketplace. But if not, that's okay. Make sure that the solution that you select is customizable to yours. Now, 
one of the challenges that we face on a regular basis is organizations where there's multiple data schemas. More times than not, we find that those users that through merger and acquisition is most popular, there's three different data sets that now are gonna be unified into one. They either select one of the data schemas, most often they select one that's an industry standard schema so that moving forward, they can leverage other tools that maybe one of their data sets, or I'm sorry, their data schema um, it could not leverage as a result of not being an industry standard, okay? So there's a lot of work that goes into the data schema. But once you've selected your data schema, your world to data excellence has changed significantly because now your existing parts can be cleansed to that schema, but then also future parts, additions, and modifications can also be cleansed or modified to that schema to ensure consistency in all items which is the goal that we're trying to achieve. Yeah. So now that we have a data taxonomy, we need to look at what are the standards around the data that we need to identify. And these are uh, at the time of cleaning uh, your data partner or yourself, if you're gonna take on a self-serve solution, you better understand all of the abbreviations, the acronyms that exist in your data set so that again, we can ensure that consistency. You can see one of the examples that we have on the screen is the TEFC for the totally enclosed fan cooled. Extremely popular amongst industries, obviously in the motor category, um, but something that customers have adopted that rather than occupying all of those characters and potentially risking any limitations that we have in characters in the data set, let's just populate TEFC. Fantastic. NEMA is another one. Uh, we Voltage, more times than not, certainly in the categories, our customers choose to just put a V rather than spell the word volt or voltage. All of that is predetermined so that as the cleaning initiative is taking place, there's consistency amongst every item and how the value attribute values are populated. Okay. Understanding that for every category, there's a very defined set of attributes for that particular part. Great example is a bearing, and we're gonna look at that in a second, but a bearing has an ID and an OD and a width and the seal type and the clearance and all of those good attributes that are specific to that category. The question is, how do we populate them? Something in industry that, uh, that, that you may or may not have heard is a term called snuggling. And snuggling is very much a part of setting a data standard. What does that mean? If you've got an inside diameter of 25 millimeters, for example, you would have 25 mm space ID. The 25 and mm are two individual data pieces that have been joined, referred to in the industry as data snuggling. If not, and you don't have character limitations, we do have some customers that say, I'd rather space every individual data uh, value. So they would have 25 and a space mm space ID. All of that information is set as a data standard at the time of the, uh, of the commencement of the data initiative. Sound overwhelming? It's not. There's predefined documentation that say, these are the industry standards. You review them, you accept them, or you make changes to all of it or to some of it. Again, your data partner will assist you ensuring that the data standard that you have will best meet your needs, uh, future needs for your data. Formatting. 
a very big part of the data initiative because now that we have all this great data, this clean data, we have to ensure that it matches your system. And so what does that mean? That means we need to create a template, a data template that has uh, the headers are correct so that when we populate your system with the data, there's a correct match. And that match is within confines of characters, um, character limitations, no special characters. And all of that needs to be determined in advance, obviously, of preparing that data for, uh, for mass upload. We give an example here that if you had a 40 character description, a common uh, way to build that description in industry is to start with a part number, have a category, and have the first attribute. However, those are completely customizable. This industry cannot be too static because if it's static, then we can't live up to the needs of every individual user and every system. Every data set is a little different, even though they may be made up of common parts. So in that example, we may have customers say, we don't want to house the part number in our 40 character description. What we want to do is have a description uh, starting with the concatenation of the attributes, and then we want to end with a category. Fantastic, all customizable. That data upload field names and types, as I said, typically there's a template, a data template at the start of the initiative that the team works with um, and, and, and speak with this to your data partner where 500 items are pulled from the raw data set um, and then they're actually populated in a real template so that you in a sandbox or test environment, a non-production environment can test that upload to ensure when we're done our 10,000 or 50,000 or 500,000 SKUs, we can ensure that we're gonna have a successful upload to our system all the formatting of the data in the individual cells needs to be determined before uh, the, uh, the cleansing initiative uh, begins. Duplication definition. As I've talked about a few times, um, duplication definition is varying strategies in the marketplace. Um, quite often our customers will say at the beginning of the initiative, we just want to eliminate all duplicates. Well, we really have to define the duplication to say, okay, what, what, what to you is a duplicate? Is a duplicate means that it's exactly the same manufacturing name and part number, or is it a fit form type function duplication where the attributes are exactly the same, the category is the same, but the manufacturer name and part number may be different. Those are uh, very different duplication definitions and require a separate strat strategy. Because as much as data duplication is a negative term in the industry, there are times where it actually has a positive impact on the user. What's one of those times? A great opportunity for uh, duplication is an interchange functionality. If it has been determined by the organization that this particular part that we buy can be interchanged by this part because engineering's tested it, we've had test runs in production, and this is a viable and qualified uh, interchange opportunity, well, in that case, the form, fit, and function is typically the same. The parametric information, size type material information is the same. That's okay, then we can let that live in the system. Typically what we don't want are exactly the same items, same manufacturer, same part number, same description, but it lives multiple times in the data set. That type of duplication is not positive, but there is actually positive duplication uh, features in a data set. Codification, it's been a big thing in the last 
five to six years where people are realizing that, you know, for reporting functionality and leveraging my spend, I need to have a better understanding of a categories, not just by individual name of the categories themselves, but something like a UNSPSC code. Perhaps you have a procurement code internally that you've used for a number of years. That needs to be part of the initiative. Or you want to develop a custom code going forward just specifically to adapt to your production needs or your procurement needs or your engineering needs. That's great. Work with your data partner to identify exactly what your code requirements are and what code set is going to be best suited for your needs. We're going to take a look at a very simple example and we always say it's a simple example but it speaks great volumes because this is what happens to every one of your lines during a, a material master data initiative you can see at the top there's a the original data description it's a bearing 25 millimeter id it's an skf 6205 to rsc3 a very recognizable part in industry in under data initiative there's work that needs to be done to that part. So the first is we need to take a look as a data partner and say, what do we recognize and what can we verify in the original description? And then how do we make that description better? So you can see in the first box, the original data identification and verification. We've recognized that the category is bearing. The manufacturer we've recognized is SKF. The inside diameter, 25 millimeter ID and the part number 6205 rsc3 those have all been again identified and verified for accuracy specifically the parametric information you can see for the inside diameter of 25 millimeter we will reference uh, repositories libraries manufacturer catalogs um, to ensure that yes that is the accurate inside diameter for that part but now taking a look at our data schema We've seen so many other attributes specifically for this category of bearing. So what are the additional attributes that we would need to research in whatever method we use and verify to ensure that we can give you the best line of data? Well, in this case, an outside diameter, a type, a series, a clearance, a width, a row, a style, and cage material are all attributes specifically within the data schema. I'm talking the IMA data schema now. Under bearing, ball bearing these are the uh these are the uh, attribute values that we would typically populate for this particular item and so we do so now at ima i can tell you we house a very large repository that we've created over 30 years of uh um, the majority of the items are mros for your typical manufacturers within that vertical um part of it is oem as well because as we know uh, our material master data sets are made up of both MRO and OEM items. And so for all of those, they fall into categories. Those categories is what we reference to say, do we have additional information that we could add from an attribute level? Yes, we can. If you look at the new item data description in this case, you can see it starts with the category. Then we've got a concatenation of all of the attributes according to the schema. And then in this case, we end with the manufacturer name and part number something that's very important. I've mentioned it a few times, but uh, the marketplace tends to think otherwise. But this is completely customizable, this description in how you present it to your system to ensure that you can maximize features such as searchability, 
um, or population of work orders and purchase orders, for example. So now we have this great description. We've also embarked on codification. In this case, we've populated the specific UNSBSC code for a single row deep group ball bearing. And then IMA, as we mentioned, your data provider may have a code set. We have one. Ball bearings happens to be the first uh, category uh, and the first subcategory, so it simply gets a 0101. Okay. A very common, a very common uh, part in industry. However, this needs to illustrate the point that this is what happens on an individual basis in your line items to every line item to ensure that you have that uh, effective material master data cleansing initiative. So now you've completed your data set and you've got the best in-class data that you can have and you've populated your system with that data and you're reaping the benefits of that data. It's extremely important that during the development of the strategy for your data uh, initiative that you define your data governance needs, okay? Because without it, your quality data that you input could be negatively impacted the very first day by a change by a user to a category or an attribute, essentially creating what we refer to as raw data all over again. We've talked many a times about the data schema and the set of rules to ensure that you get a consistent output. That's the whole premise of Material Master Data and your governance solution must be able to do that. So we put together some questions that we always work with people in the industry to ask whomever you're uh, considering for your governance solution is, um, will the solution adapt to my custom data schema? There are software solutions for data governance in industry that relate to data generally. They're not specifically MRO data or OEM data or indirect material data, they're just data governance solutions. However, they typically have a hard-coded data schema. So you try to avoid those, especially if you've adopted the schema of your data partner, or if you have a custom one internally, you need to ensure that your data governance solution can adapt to that. And then secondly, is my rule set and data standards embedded in the solution? Why is that so important? Hopefully we've learned by this point, if you have four different people entering uh, data related to the same item, that rule set and data standards within the solution should be able to walk through all four people and have a consistent output. And you wouldn't do that for the same item because you'd create unnecessary duplication. But imagine if you're entering, we used a bearing example, four different bearings. At the end of that uh, addition, item addition within your governance solution, you want to ensure that whatever you added looks exactly the same as all your 6200 series bearings that, uh, that we used in the example. That's your data consistency. Are we limited to a specific number of users? It's, a, it's an IMA preference that there should not be a limited number of users only because the more people that you have that are touching the parts and, and assisting with entering the data, the better off that you're going to have a full, thorough, highly populated data, uh, material master data set. So now there may be situations where you have users that can request item additions and item modifications and it goes to a data governance manager internally or leverage one externally at your data partner, that's fine, but allow that those number of users to, to access the tool. If for no other reason, 
typically there's a very effective search functionality within your governance solution. It should be the first part of every of every data or governance activity, such as adding search. Do we have it in our data set? No, we don't. Fantastic. Then I'm going to add one. Okay. That's why we tend not to limit users within the organization. Their responsibilities and authorization within the tool may differ, but let's not limit the number of users that can actually access the tool. Will value inputs be managed to be consistent regardless of user? In the industry, it's, it's, it's what's called writing a regular expression to ensure that your output always looks the same. The best way to explain it is you filled out a form before on the internet and it asked for your phone number. And if you put three digits and then a period and three more digits, typically it'll, it'll, it'll identify an error. Same thing. We're looking to create that phone number in that consistent fashion in all of your attribute values for all of your parts, regardless of category within your data set. Lastly, it's very important for as far as data governance concerned is, does the system fully integrate with my CMMS? And the reason why we we always look or suggest our, our people considering this, this governance tool that it fully integrate is it reduces the amount of labor required by you in order to populate your system. Now, it's, it's, it's not always a preference of organizations for security, data security um, uh, reasons, and that the market is making a big shift right now where we're seeing that more of our customers are saying, we just want, we want to create the item, we want you to create the item, depending on the strategy that we, ad we adopt, but then we want the data to flow directly into our system rather than having somebody have to do it. Now, the reason why we have all of these previous four questions is that if the tool ensures consistency and the user's entering or modifying a part and you meet all of the rules, once you've met the rules, a review is not necessary populate directly into the system and leverage technology so that you can reduce the amount of labor required to uh, add or modify parts within your system. Okay. So something very important. Now, if your organization says that we don't want direct connection into our system, that's fine. Then you need to look at the, uh, the, the complexities of a flat file. Make sure that that data template that we talked about during the mass data initiative matches your data governance template so that you can ensure an effective upload into your system. Lastly, we're gonna talk quick about uh, data application and then we'll take some questions. This is, this is the, the, the important part of the data initiative and quite honestly needs to be addressed very early stages when you're, uh, when you're considering or executing your plan uh, for your data initiative. Because now that your data is best in class and you have a governance solution that's going to maintain the integrity of that data, you need to, for your organization, leverage it to ensure that you can maximize the value of your material master data. So how do we do that? Let's put some numbers to what we can actually uh, um, uh, perceive as savings. And I will tell you, um, at IMA and other data partners in the industry, there's typically, typically an ROI calculator at the beginning of the initiative when you're evaluating data to say, these are what we believe the savings could be for your organization if you embark on this initiative. Some of them, duplication. 10% on average in the industry is item duplication within an unclean material master. 
But of that, 25% of the duplication value is avail available for inventory reduction. There's a misnomer in industry that if you have 10% of your items are duplicates, that all 10% of them are available for inventory reduction. Not necessarily the case, because you may have historical activity on the four different duplicates within your organization, but you don't need to have a, a max quantity of 10, for example, for each one of those items. So typically we see 10% of your item duplicate is, is duplication, 25% of those are available for inventory reduction. All right. Procurement savings. This is a big one for our customers and typically they, they enter into some kind of indirect material RFI, RFP, RFQ stage for their indirect spend because 60% of their annual purchases qualify for some kind of leverage opportunity. 5% average amongst those is the price reduction that we've seen throughout our 30 plus years. And so what that means is 60%, a lot of times that represents your MRO spend. And of that total, we see approximately 5% of a leverage opportunity because now you're going to your potential supplier or your supply base and saying, I had $500,000 of bearing spend that I was leveraging three years ago when I leveraged my bearing opportunity. However, through a data initiative, I've learned that 500,000, it's actually a million dollars once of, uh, of spend now that it's properly categorized and we can have effective procurement court, uh, reports, spend report, management reports off of the data. And so there's a better opportunity to leverage that typically because your data reports are significantly more accurate than they were prior to the Material Master Data Initiative. There's a report out in industry that's uh, that's written by a gentleman that did a uh, research extensively about material master data and how it affects the, uh, um, uh, the the costing of asset intensive organizations. And it's uh, time and time again, it's been proven that it's uh, three quarters of an hour to an hour a day savings per maintenance team member due to efficient search uh, ability. It sound we, we use half an hour in our calculation. The, the reporting um, specifically identifies three quarters to an hour, but with some electronic advances in technology since that research was performed, we've reduced it to half an hour, which is a significant savings. Rarely do we get an argument about that savings because we've all been in that situation. You go to a storeroom to find a bearing with a particular ID, and it's not available in your in your search uh, functionality. So you're walking the shelves, looking for that part, potentially opening the boxes with your calipers to measure an ID. If all of that exists in your item master, because your uh, attribute values have been so thoroughly populated, then you reduce all of that manual search effort and you can uh, effectively leverage your technology. OEMs, we've talked about those a few times throughout the presentation today. And, uh, on average in industry, we see 30% of the material masters represented by OEM items. Um, however, to be very fair and conservative, there's 10% of those items that actually qualify conversion to a standard MRO item. We, we see those in couplings, we see it in timing belts, we see it in bearings quite frequently. Um, however, there's a host of other items, indirect material items, that uh, for very good reason uh, are not 
uh, tested for conversion or interchange to a standard MRO items for a host of reasons, but there are 10% of that 30% that do. On average, we see a 25% savings buying a, and we've been using bearing all day, if you buy a bearing from your OEM or your MRO supplier rather than buying it from an OEM, we see a 25% savings. Every time we do this presentation, people kind of smile because they say it can be significantly more than 25%. We understand that. But on averages, based on the research that we've performed, you're looking at a 25% savings for those items that are able to convert. Right. Lastly, and there's a number more, again, but with time limitations, we selected uh, five that we work with our clients most often. That excess active indirect material overstock, what does that mean? Sounds like a big fancy term. It's majority of our customers, once they have a, uh, a best-in-class material master data set, they recalculate all of their mins and max ROPs, ROs, ROQs, and find that 10% of that on-hand inventory that you have currently today exceeds the max quantity that you've now identified as a as requirement uh, for that particular item. So you haven't you're not jeopardizing the opportunity for downtime uh, for your production needs. You're simply saying my max is five and I have eight. Those three become excess active indirect material overstock. We refer to them as, and uh, we've worked with many a customer to to uh, deplete them of that inventory. Um, at a cost that is uh, very promising or uh, pleasing to our customers. Um, and again, the most important thing being that we never jeopardize uh, production um, of these critical spares are typically removed from this calculation. Um, it's simply things that exceed max. Let's get rid of those so that you can convert them to some type of cash. Okay. All right. We talked a lot about the Material Master Data Initiative um, today. Uh, hopefully there's some questions or you've, edu you've become a little more educated than you were um, before. It can be an overwhelming task to a lot of people. As a matter of fact, a lot of customers that we talk to at seminars and user groups and conferences that we go to, they say, we realize we have an issue with our Material Master data. We just don't know where to start. It's like drinking from a fire hose. So I can offer you this. At IMA, we love the vertical in which we compete globally. And so we offer up expertise to our customers, obviously, but then people who aren't our customers or not yet, or maybe never will be, that's okay. We mentioned at the beginning of the call that Rob Hoffer's on the call, he's our global account manager. Rob is always available to answer questions around the Material Master Data Initiative, but then we have a host of project managers, operations managers, governance managers that would gladly speak to anybody on this call to answer questions before you even embark on the initiative, because maybe we can provide some education that, uh, that would make uh, your journey just a little bit easier. Okay, at this point, we'll uh, answer some questions if there's any questions. Hi, Troy. There is a question huh. um, from Kim Stadler. Um, for data schemas, are there guidelines or references, i.e. ISO standards, that can be used to help establish a standard that is industry recognized? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a few organizations globally that have tried to define a standard. And to date, there hasn't been one. But I can tell you this. Uh, any material master data cleansing company will have a data schema that they'll be able to provide to you to say, consider this. Starting from scratch, and we have had organizations that have decided to embark on creating their own from scratch, it's so laborious, it would take longer to do that than it would to be to just adapt one from uh, somebody in the industry. So my recommendation would be, you know, talk to an IMA, talk to somebody else in our in our space and say, hey, I'm considering this, but I have no idea what to do for a data schema. We don't have one internally. I guarantee you they'll be able to provide you one for you to consider or to customize to make it your own, but at least you'll have something to start with. That's a great question. Great, thanks. Um, here's another one. Um, how would the description change if the manufacturer name is not provided, bearing it, for example? Yeah, you know, depending on the system, uh, manufacturer name isn't always included in the, uh, in the, uh, the, the data cleanse itself. As a matter of fact, the category, the attributes, the part number, um, uh, uh, plant-specific information related to asset, that type of information typically always exists in the description. But if the manufacturer name is not there, that's actually okay. Especially if you're looking at things, you know, look at a flat washer. It doesn't have a part number by the most part. It all driven off of parametric information. O-rings are the same. Um, you know your screws, that type of thing. You don't necessarily need a manufacturer name or even a part number in that case. However, with those parts, it's extremely important that you have as much of the attribute and parametric information to properly identify and use the part. Thank you. Um, here's another question. How can I keep the data clean once I've completed the process? How can I ensure data is input correctly once everything's standardized? Yeah, that's the governance portion of the uh, presentation where we spoke to selecting a governance solution that can A, be customized to all of your data standards, formatting and, and categories and schemas um, so that you ensure that when a user comes in and enters a new part, it looks like all the parts that you've just spent good money to get uh, right-sized, normalized to the schema, um, because if not, quite honestly, you're uh, you're embarking on a future data cleansing initiative if you don't maintain it. So there's some good uh, governance solutions out there that are completely customizable to your needs. And again, they're built so that user A, B, C entering a part, a like part, the same part, the output will look exactly consistent to the items that you had cleansed in your material master data initiative. There's a follow-up to that question. It says, can a CMMS help me with that? You know, depending on the CMMS, um, potentially, the, the challenge is that it's a very niche service. So typically, a good governance solution interacts directly with the CMMS um, so that they can, they can be one in the same and talk to each other on a API, REST API, whatever the case may be, to ensure that you maintain that consistency. So can your CMMS? Depends on the CMS. Um, but... Uh, but yes, there's certainly opportunity for governance solutions to, to direct connect on complete system integration so that you can work directly within your CMMS. 
great. Here's a great question. Um, how do we communicate to leadership the importance of investing in time, uh, investing the time in getting MDM cleanup completed fully? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, Rob and I over the um, <laughs> decade have uh, written and presented many an internal value proposition or business case to our customers uh, to present to the executive level, the C-suite, to say these are the reasons why you do this. We support them with industry specifics. Uh, we support them with an ROI calculator to say here's the Here's the benefits that you can reap. And honestly, the ROI, Rob and I continue to be more conservative because 10 to 1, the, the 10 to 1 potential savings in your ROI by embarking on a data a material master data initiative, it's a big number. And the C-suite and the executives will question us on that. And we typically have all the numbers to support it. Um, but we would gladly assist you in writing a uh, uh, internal business case or value proposition to present to whomever the uh, decision makers are. Great answer. Um, here's another question. Um, I would like to know industry standard for labeling content. For labeling content? For label content, sorry. Hmm. So label content. So I'll, I'll take a stab at this only because um, our data schemas are presented in a label value format where the label is the name of the attribute itself, like inside diameter for a bearing, for example. Um, so perhaps that's the question. If that's the question, um, then I would suggest that, again, working with your data partner using that data schema, all of the labels should be named. And hopefully that answered the question. Great. Are there any more questions? Please put your questions in the uh, question section. It looks like we're good. Oh, here's another one. One of the great influencers of such material management system is the organizational structure. How can you streamline such activities? Hmm. Yeah, um, I guess my first question would be from a cleansing perspective or from a governance perspective. Um, from the cleansing perspective, uh, self-serve tools are becoming more popular where a defined governance team is leveraging technology in the industry now to, uh, to clean material master data. But from the governance side, streamlining something that, uh, that I didn't really offer in the uh, in the presentation. I will offer now because it is an IMA service specifically, and I'm, I'm trying to just educate you on the market as whole. But in the governance side, um, there is opportunity for users to enter whatever information they have to the part, submit it to their data partner. Their data partner completes the parts on their behalf and then directly connects into your system to populate them. Now you have requests from your user, and that's the only involvement that is required. The, the user requests the addition of an item, and they receive notification when the item's been added. So um, that's that certainly has removed a lot of the labor requirement from our, our customers that we work with, uh, and certainly stream, streamlined that process. 
Great, we have another question. Would you place reference descriptions in bearings for mounting sleeves, bearing blocks that would normally be used together with the bearing? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And at the time of the creating the plan, it will certainly be part of the conversation because there's there's a, a few differing opinions in the industry of should I classify that as a kit or assembly or should I uh, categorize them as two different items? So yes and yes, depending on your preferences, we need to ask you a few more questions. Set it up as a kit and an assembly, okay. Setting them up as individual items allows those items to then be used in other places where not necessarily uh, in a kit or assembly environment. Um, but you can reference the two items together in, uh, in um, uh, additional information field in the Material Master Data Cleanse to say, this item number one, two, three, four, five is uh, used with number one, two, three, four, six. And so by doing so, uh, if you look up uh, part A, you know, we see sleeves and um, uh, lock washers and lock nuts, for example. They can assist as an assembly, but if you use that lock nut somewhere else, now that it exists in the assembly only, we would categorize them as three parts and then link them together um, with a common part numbering system that we typically implement in Material Master Data. We did get a bit of uh, clarification from that label question. Uh, he says that I mean a physical label that would be put on the tray with the part QR code, question mark, barcode, etc. Yeah, we do our on-site physical resources um, uh, do carry a lot of zebra printers with them for those uh, who know what that is, they know. Um, for printing those uh, shelf labels. Um, it really depends on the character limitation that you would like to have on the uh, on the shelf. So typically what we suggest, put your item number or your material number as part of it, manufacturer name and part number, and then a description that populates the attributes that a user would typically need if you have the space on the label. So for V-belts, have the cross section and have the outside circumference so somebody can look and say, I've changed the center distance on this uh, V-belt drive. I need a 95-inch outside circumference uh, belt still in a B section. By being able to go to that, they'd be able to reference it and look for the 95. Hopefully they search that in the uh, system, but if not, and you put it on the barcoding, it does offer that information. But definitely your material number, your manufacturer name and part number uh, for the part. And then again, based on space that you have on the uh, label itself, put attribute information that's specific to the user. Great, it looks like uh, that's all we have for questions. If um, Thank you so much, Troy. Um, this was very informative. Um, hopefully everybody enjoyed this uh, best practice webinar. Um, if we could move to the next slide. We do have a, uh, a best practice webinar on November 17th. Uh, it's motion amplification and it's rapid evolution for the reliability and maintenance professional uh, featuring Jeff Hay from, he's the CEO of RDI Technologies. Um, so you will be getting, everybody who attended this webinar will be getting a follow-up email with the information, the download for the uh, webinar recording and the deck and also how to sign up for our next best practice webinar. Next slide. We also have a survey. Uh, so uh, I hope 
that uh, everybody will respond to this. There's a, there's a, uh, you can visit this link, acelix.com uh, community best practice webinars for more information on our upcoming webinars and visit acelix.com for a free demo of our connected reliability network. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it was our honor to present this uh, best practice webinar. Um, have a great rest of your day.